aren't you grateful for the way the Lord sustains and keeps and directs and provides? And God has done amazing things in, with our audiovisual presentation, but also what I have to share with you now. Um, Kathy and I had our 50th wedding anniversary last year, and we realized when we were putting our slide presentation together and we pulled out that old prayer card back there that we had Ephesians 3.20 on there, and that's exactly what we had shared with people on our 50th anniversary. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to his riches uh, in Christ Jesus and according to the power that works within us. And Kathy and I have just marveled at how when we went there, we were hoping to be able to see an, an Italian work established, uh, even if it would be just small, but because the spiritual terrain in Italy was so hard and so in, unpenetrable. And yet God wants to build his church. And I, that part, and the gates of hell won't prevail. Uh, they'll, they'll try to, and yet God has been able to penetrate the darkness and bring about a new growth and so forth. We're excited. There's lots of things I would like to say, and I think during the Q&A, I'll give a little bit more. We're here to say thank you also on behalf of Slato and Elisa that you have been supporting, uh, and we really appreciate that. Uh, Slato and Elisa are worthy servants of the Lord, and they don't speak English fluently, so it for them to come here it would be very difficult. They would have to have somebody that would follow them around and translate for them. And furthermore, and worst of all, would be as if they came on furlough, their work would suffer immensely because he would have to drop what he's doing there to, to come. So we're doing that on his behalf, and we say a big grazie di cuore, uh, heartfelt thanks. That was in Italian. <laughs> Any Italian speakers here? Uh, no. Okay. That's, that's kind of usual. No, nobody sees the value of learning it. No. We're, um, we're really grateful for what God has done. And I'd like to speak to you uh, following a theme of the open doors and through, um, through the book of Acts, uh, seeing how Paul, the apostle, had many doors of opportunity made available to him. And we're... It, some of you know us from way back. Uh, you've been supporting us for many, many years. I was trying to remember if from back, we went to the field in 74, and I think that you were part of our team way back then. If not, it was soon afterwards, and so we're very, very grateful. Um, but recently, or not recently, when the t time came, we were on loan to back to the Bible for four years. Then the Lord shut the door to go on. We knew that it was going to be a, a short-term thing, but uh, he closed that door, and then he opened an unusual door in the Veneto area. Veneto comes from, uh, from Venice, the, the main uh, center of the, the region there. And Alexander, Alexander Graham Bell once said, when one door closes, another door opens, but we so often look so long and so gratefully at the closed door that we don't see the ones that are open to us. And I don't know if that man declares to be a, a Christian or not, but there is a lot of truth in what he said. God is a God that opens the doors. In fact, um, it was, it's kind of neat as Paul and Silas went back to report to the churches, 
uh, Antioch and Jerusalem, it says that they went back and declared all that God had done and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so I, I think that as we come back, that's a, a purpose of furlough is to report on what God has done. But I like to underline that thing, how, uh, that phrase, uh, how he's opened the door of, of faith to the Gentiles. And as we see those verses that were uh, brought to your attention during the slide presentation, uh, the First um, Corinthians 16, how... Uh, Paul wanted to go to, to Corinth to visit the church, but he said, I, if the Lord permits, I, I would like to tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And from that, uh, th those brief words, we see his awareness of God's call and how that ha fleshes out in, in, his, in the opportunities that there are given. But he also had that unique mixture of opportunities with adversaries. Um, they kind of go th together in life. And if you think about it, uh, many times Satan is not content when he sees something being done to the glory of God, and he's going to be there to try to oppose it. And... Um, he did that with the initial church. Remember, uh, Stephen was martyred, and then James was martyred, and it, yet in that context of suffering, God was going to build his church, first 3,000 people, and then it grew to 5,000, and he is continually working to build that church. And then the, the passage in, in Revelation um, that we mentioned as well, it's uh, John writing on behalf of, of Jesus' words to the church at Philadelphia, and he says that he who is, has the key of David, he, God, um, opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And he goes on to say, I know your works. I see that I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, and you have a little strength, and have kept my word and not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews <coughs> and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere and I will also keep you from the hour of trial. And what I see from that is that John is expressing that um, God is the one who opens and shuts doors. He's in absolute control. His sovereignty is there. And he's going to be operating even in those that are called the synagogue of Satan. Um, people whose lives are, are, are dictated by his power and his influence in their lives. And yet those people, God can make bow their knees and recognize who he is and worship him. And then he also delivers in the hour of trial, as it says in, in, in verse 10. So what I'd like to do is give some biblical examples in a panoramic approach to, uh, to uh, the book of Acts of Paul's life and the practical illustrations at how, how also in Italy we have seen God open doors of opportunity and then kind of try to challenge you to those open doors too because um, God wants his church to grow and the way he's going to do it is through his, his children and his servants. The first thing I'd like to point to your attention is that doors of opportunity often go together with suffering. Anybody like to suffer? 
And yet, how many of us have suffered? I think all of us, without exception, we, there's been suffering in our lives. What is unique about this is when I read 2 Corinthians 11 and, and 23 through 28 and see all the ways Paul suffered, I feel kind of embarrassed because I have not, you know, sometimes when you're going through problems, I don't know about you, you kind of think that, boy, you've gone through a lot more than anybody else. And it's always magnified in our, in our minds what we're going through. But yet, sometimes it's good to compare it to other people so we can be grateful for the blessings that we have. Well, anyway, Paul had a, a big problem with, the, with false apostles. And um, so he, he's kind of addressing this problem to the church that all these false apostles that were kind of working against his efforts. And he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool and I'm more in labors, more abundant in, in stripes above measure in prison more frequently, in deaths often. He, he's speaking like he's speaking as a fool, maybe in the eyes of the people who reason, humanly speaking. But he's telling all the labors, his being beaten, his being in prison. And in verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I was in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of countrymen, and in perils of Gentiles, in, Gentile, uh, in perils in the city, in, in the wilderness, uh, in the sea, and among false brethren, weariness, toil, and sleeplessness, and hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul had all of that that was happening to him, and yet his, his focus was on the churches that he was establishing and to see them prosper. And he was obviously facing a lot of hardship, but in that hardship, he had many, many doors of opportunity open to him. And he took advantage of those doors of opportunity, which is something that challenges each one of us is to, when we're going through those difficulties, not to just clam up or to get mad or angry with God, but to see what is it that God wants to do through this experience so it's not wasted, so God can get glory so that he can do things that, that just go against human logic and reason. Here in this passage, I see his right attitude towards suffering, I see a spiritual growth through his trials, and I see godly concern for those around him. Despite what he was personally taking, uh, suffering, he was able in his maturity to look beyond that and see the other people around him that had problems. And God brought that to our attention when we had COVID, and we, we were had gone through some glorious times. We had just had uh, uh, numerous baptisms in the Italian church. We had just had our first baptisms in our church plant at Castelfranco, and then boom, and couldn't get our breath, and Kathy was having chest pains, and all of a sudden, um, we, could it be COVID? And we took some tests uh, at home, and we tested positive, but, you know, that's not enough. You've got to get it official. And 
so God really, uh, at that time, uh, yes, it was official, and the, the gasping for our breath was very real, but God really intervened, and I'm convinced that Excuse me. Many people were praying throughout the world. And God, marvelously, we were in four different hospitals, and we ended up in the same hospital, in the same room. God wanted us to be together. We had heard a lot of horror stories, people that go and die in a, in a room to themselves. And God gave us that special grace to be together which was very, very meaningful. We could pray together. We, could, we were there in the same room. We were able to help each other, especially me toward Kathy because she was bedridden. Um, we were under oxygen, but we were also, um, even in the difficulty, God provided the right people. Our daughter, Felicia, was a watchdog, and she really went to bat. But I don't want to go into detail about that. But God put it on our hearts that when we were in that hospital room, it wasn't by mistake. It was because God had ordained that time. And he drew to our attention that there were people coming in. They looked like astronauts with all their garb and their masks and everything. But um, it just became obvious. God was bringing a whole different group of people into our lives. People that did not know God and opportunities to witness to them, to also pray with them, and to share, and then uh, just express gratitude toward them. And then at the end, when we were dismissed from the hospital, to be able to take gospel calendars, like we have on our display table back there, a, a verse for every day, uh, to them, and again, express our gratitude. We were praying specifically, God would give us at least one person. I don't know if yet if that has come to pass, or one day somebody will show up at a church service. We invited quite a few people. We trust that God will still give fruit from that time. But nonetheless, he wanted us to be a witness for him. And just as the Apostle Paul had his, his difficulties, yet he did not uh, lack in expressing to others his belief in God and the gospel message to these people that needed to hear. And I'm just so grateful that even in suffering, God helped us to raise up and beyond what were physical difficulties and to give, transform that into spiritual opportunities, doors of opportunities. And I would challenge each of you to kind of view whatever is happening in your life today or tomorrow, whatever it be, that you're ready and primed in to listen to the dictates of God and be able to utilize those times for his glory and his honor. Two, Paul went down to a riverside. It was beautiful to see that, that discipline in his life and that every Christian should to, to want fellowship every week with true believers. And that led him to seek out where believers were meeting. And it was down by a riverside. And it was a group of women. Kind of thought, makes me think of our first Filipino group. That was one lady. And then one lady became two and three. And then, then there were a number of them. We prayed that God would send them in. And finally we got them in. And then the, we got the children too. And now there's a, a beautiful church of Filipinos. But at the beginning it was just ladies. And he goes there in Acts 16. And he... It's just, he, he can't be quiet. 
you know, the Apostle Paul, he's the new one on the block, but he goes down there and he, at the riverside and where prayer was customarily made in verse 13, and he sat down and spoke to the women who were there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of, of uh, purple from the city of Thyatira, and, and she worshiped God, but God opened her heart to heed the, the things that spoken, were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household um, were baptized, she begged him to stay there and, and th- she wanted to host them. And this was probably the beginning of the church at Philippi. It was neat how you know, God directed him and from that then a church was born. And that was kind of similar to things what God did in our ministry, whether the Italian work and then the, uh, the Filipino work and then the gypsy work and then Arabic ministry and then um, to this church plant at, at Castel Franco and then the homeless. Now we hope to get something going for them when we get back. And then the church down at Leche. There's seven different nucleuses now that we're trying to, to minister to and we're delighted about that. But they all had their small beginnings just like Paul had here with these women uh, at the riverside. Adivane was a, a Brazilian um, 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 unwed mother who started coming to our church. Uh, um, Nela is a Tunisian gal. Her husband came to know the Lord. He was a Muslim, and he lived with us for five years. Then he married Nela. Nela works in a, in a, in a, 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 what do you call it, a home for abused mothers and children. And she had invited Adirvane to come to our church. And Adirvane came. Often she was immodestly dressed. It was... And she had her little baby and her boy, and not, not infant, but three or four years old. And it was kind of hard. She claimed that she was a Christian. But finally, after a certain amount of time, Kathy and I went to visit her. And we wanted to get down to the bottom of, of how her life was. And, knowing, and she just talked about all the ways that her life had been one of, of suffering and how um, her dad was darker colored skin and how the grandmother always despised him and despised her because her skin was darker and other uh, things and then how she had relationships with different men and, and, and then the one that she had the child with was abusive and so she was uh, um, isolated from him and that's when we c- came to know her. Well, when we talked to her and, and she shared all these things with us, then we said, well, well, tell us a little bit more about, you said that you were a Christian. How did that come about? And when she shared how she had um, was, lived near a, a, a church, uh, even a evangelical church, I presume, but she heard joyful singing outside and she was drawn in and the people warmly received her and then she walked the aisle and shook the pastor's hand. But you know what? As I shared the plan of salvation, I kind of had the feeling that she really never had truly been born again. And as I went through the plan of salvation, and she kind of was starting to process all this, and she says, I've never done that. And yet, she was presenting herself as a believer. Now, I don't like to doubt people's word, and, but, you know, it is 
neat opportunity when we sense that something's not right to talk with people. Take that opportunity to hear out what they have to say. And then if there is a problem that we can maybe help them to see the light. And that's what happened um, when she realized that she had never received Christ truly. She had just shaken a person's hand. And that's not enough to enter the kingdom of God. So she did this and that just changed her life her perspective the way she dressed her desire to teach her little boy about God and her regularity and in services and it was just beautiful but that's what God does and whether it was down by a riverside or whether it's in somebody's home but that we as children of God need to have our spiritual antennas sensitive to what people are saying how they're living and try to make sure that they are on board and they really know the Savior three was another time that Paul took a door of opportunity when he's in prison. And I think, you know, when you talk about Acts 16 and how they liberated this gal who was in prison, uh, Satan had uh, taken control of her life and she had a capacity to, to predict the future. But as she encounters them and they pray and she is liberated from that, the owners that were getting great profit from her dragged them to the court, uh, to the, the, the authorities and to, to make them arrest them and they were beaten and put in prison and they were in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas are really angry with God and they're criticizing him and very upset, right? <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. At least I know you're, you're awake. Now, I'm just like to tr test you to make sure you're careful. Now, they're, they're there and they're singing and they're hymns and they're praying and all the prisoners are listening. They weren't in an isolated bubble. They were in the midst of people and their perspective in those times, rather than being embittered and really angry with the Romans and, and these other people that don't understand principles, uh, spiritual principles, and that this gal was liberated. They could have cared less, to use an Italian gesture. Um, they were there to uh, make life difficult for him, but he did not let those chains or those stocks imprison his spirit. And the people were listening, and they were enjoying that time I assume that they never had a service like that in the prison before. And it was a, a very uplifting time. And it was certainly something that, was, that helped them to pass that time in a, in a way that they would have never imagined and lift their spirits. But suddenly God permitted an earthquake to take place as if they hadn't been through enough that day. God, what are you doing? We're tempted to say, right? Come on, are you, does ever have a time that you're wondering what God is trying to say and do in your life? Paul is not that way. He is able to even take this and their chains are, are everything is, they're freed up. Um, everything has fallen down. I don't know how their lives were spared with all of this crumbling down. But what amazes me about Paul's spirit is when the jailer is a Roman and he is ready to commit suicide because if he lets the prisoners go, it's his life for theirs. And the Romans weren't nice about it too. They probably 
whether they would torture him or stuff, he didn't want to give them that opportunity. He was going to take his life before that happened. And Paul, in love and concern for that man's soul, yells out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That takes grace. Have you ever had anybody that's really made life difficult for you? What is your response to them? When something happens that's bad, you say, ha, ha, ha. It serves them right. Or do you have a concern? God, there's lots of people that fill in in that category. Um, I think of our old landlady and uh, how she was really quite a pest. But, you know, we love her and we won over. She hasn't become a Christian yet. She got us out of her house because she was kind of conditioned by Satan and other people. And later on, she confessed that it wasn't, our, it wasn't us that was the problem, it was her. But she's come to a, a lot of our church services. We're still praying for salvation. But we truly love her, despite all the things she did to us. And I think that's only God that can help us to do that. But with this, Paul says, don't harm yourself. The guy falls down. I think he must have been listening to the praying and the singing. You know, all that that was going on, I can't believe for a moment that he wasn't aware of what was going on. And that's why he comes down and he he's throws himself before Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? What an opportunity. And he it makes it clear that he needs to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he spoke the word of God to him. At that same hour, that, that guy takes him and immediately... Um, uh, they were baptized, but also he sets food before them and takes care of their, them. And it's, it's amazing how God worked here. And what do I see in this? First of all, God, Paul's godly response to persecution. I see go godly response or influence on the part of people that are surrounding him. I see godly concern for his enemies. And I see godly response on the part of the jailer and his family to, to the gospel. Thinking of the, the jailer and his um, wanting to commit suicide and how God intervened. One day, Kathy and I, uh, our routine before the Filipinos had their own building, um, we would park the car at Meste, which is on the mainland. We would take a bus across the, the Liberty Bridge. And then when we got to Venice um, and got off the bus, then we would walk about 15 minutes to our, our, our meeting with the Filipinos. One day, I was holding on in, in the bus. There were lots of people around, and Kathy was sit sitting next to the window, and she sees a gal that's right on the, uh, the precipice of the, a, a wall about 10 meters uh, high, and she says, Frank, I think she's getting ready to jump and commit suicide. And I... Don't nor, never have done this in my life, but I hollered out to the bus driver, stop! And normally they get people asked to stop because they want to get off at a convenient place and not wait till the next bus stop or something like that. But um, the bus driver, I think probably he saw that girl and he stopped. And I got off, but somebody jumped off before me and went running toward her and that kind of did it. She jumped. And he jumped in after her, but I didn't. I was afraid if I did, I, I wouldn't be here to tell the story today. But what I did is I went down and ran, and I went 
to how I could get to her, and I, I told her I was a pastor, and I would be, you know, would, would like to help if any way I could. She, I guess, was still stunned and whatever, but she didn't respond to me. But later on, um, well, I don't want to say that. Kathy and I went on to the Bible, uh, the, the, the meeting, the Filipino meeting, and afterwards I told, told Kathy, maybe we ought to go to the hospital and see if we can find that, that gal and be able to talk to her. So we get there, and I tell the gal at the emergency area, uh, there's a gal that tried to commit suicide today at Venice. She's uh, probably here, and I would lo love to visit her and try to be of help to her. And the gal says, I'm a Buddhist, and I really don't really care, you know, what you want, but I cannot t let you in to see her. The only way would be is if she asked for you to come. I quickly am processing and I, I said, if I leave a note with my name and phone number, would you at least give that to her? So I busily write, write out the note and tell this lady that I'm the one that told her that I was a pastor and I'd be, I'd be thrilled to talk to her. About one week later, she called and what was so beautiful about it was that by this time she was out of the hospital, but she had been transferred. She was trying to get away from her abusive husband, uh, physically abusive. And so I was able to put her in contact with a missionary's wife down at Bologna where she was at. And that lady, that missionary lady, was able to lead her to the Lord. I, th I think so beautiful, but you know, those kind of circumstances, often God can make us aware of that but in those moments if Kathy hadn't spoken up if the guy hadn't uh, said what he did uh, the bus driver hadn't stopped and if and if I we hadn't done that that lady would not have Jesus Christ as her savior today and I'm not saying that to put a feather in our cap I'm just trying to say as a stimulus to, to each one of you there are people all the time that take their lives and they take their lives because they don't have a hope there are people that need Jesus Christ. They need to know that somebody loves them and cares about them. And when that happens, people are responsive. They, they feel that there is, there's a reason yet for them to live. And that lady became a Christian, but also Melody, our Filipino gal that is amazing. She, when we knew her, she had cut her wrist and she was in a hospital. And a Filipino girl, Erika, went to visit her. And then she had me visit her and Melody accepted the Lord. She had been living it, shacking up with a guy. She had had a couple abortions. She had, her life was a wreck. But when her, then her boyfriend left her, she didn't see any reason to live. But now she is a transformed person. And God, because of her friend, Erika, who's a believer in our Filipino church, because of that, she came to know Christ. Now she's, she's went to, um, to finish the, she was one of the graduates in our program here. She is also going on with, in Word of Life, the, the Hungry Bible Institute, and she wants to be a missionary. I think, amazing what God can do and wants to do. But we need to see those people and reach out to them while there's still time and let God use that impulse of love and concern for other people so that they're not driven to that desperation and they can see a purpose in life and, and receive Jesus Christ and be transformed. Amazing. Fourthly, Paul, when he goes to Athens in chapter 18, 17, he, his spirit is in, in, provoked, it says, within him as he sees the, the city was given over to uh, uh, so many idols 
And he, in verse 17, he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. And then he goes in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. And then when certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, they wanted to listen to this babbler uh, and that's uh, talking about foreign gods, they said, and because uh, he had preached to them about Jesus and the resurrection. And so they, they take the Areopagus there and they say, may we know about this new doctrine uh, because you're talking about strange things. Um, what do I see in this, this? Well, he gets up there and he talks to these people. He says, I see you're very religious. Kathy and I have that all the time in Italy. People that are religious, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between just having religion and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he, he, as he shares with them, he says, I've gone through your town and I was considering the objects of your worship. And I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And the, the one who you worship without knowing and I'd like to proclaim him to you. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and the earth. And he does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's the one that gives life and breath to all. And he goes on and says it's that God that determines the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of the dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord. Because he's not far from us. And later on he says... This, these are times of ignorance that God has overlooked, but now he's commanding for everybody to repent because he was appointed one day on which he will judge the world in righteousness and by the man whom he was ordained. Um, some mocked. Some said, we'll hear you again, but others believed. And this is kind of exciting. Not everybody that we preach to has become a Christian, but there are that few, and that few has become a significant number, and we rejoice in that. Paulo and Luciana were a couple that, that I had taken that, our calendar to for 30 years. 30. Had beautiful conversations with them. But their lives were, were still uh, in prison with their religious practices, the Madonna, Mary, praying to the saints, and all the other things that go along with that religion. And God, finally, they came to understand what it is to be born again. And I, it was just amazing. They got baptized, both of them, at age 75. Uh, that doesn't happen really often. We did have another lady uh, that this happened to him. That's another wonderful story how God used believers and added to his kingdom this another lady but God can take people that are towards idolatry and there are a lot of idolaters in America today do you say amen there's a lot of idolatry people that have filled up their lives with wrong things are we concerned about them what do I see in this, in this passage here that, that Paul was greatly disturbed by the idolatry. He did not remain indifferent about it, passive. He was an avid and flexible communicator, whether it was in the synagogue, whether it was in the marketplace, whether it was there with the philosophers. He was very informed on the culture of the people and he tried, he was well prepared to transition from their life to a gospel presentation. 
And that's what God wants us today to do, to be sensitive to the people that are around us that are imprisoned in idolatry and to help them to see the light. Fifthly, and I'm going to have to kind of move quickly through these last few points. Paul appears before Felix, the governor, in Acts 24. And he's being falsely accused uh, by... uh, People, he even has a professional order, Tertullius, that is, is there to kind of make adulations towards Felix and, and to build up Felix, but put Paul down. And he, in all these things, um, he's very negative. He's telling uh, Felix that Paul is a creator of dissension. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, and he's tried to profane the temple. All these false accusations. And Paul uh, has the grace to come back and give his personal testimony uh, how he is being falsely accused, but that he was really at Jerusalem to worship God. And so in all of that, what do I see? That Paul doesn't stoop to the accusers there, the adulation and the false accusations. He denies the accusations and he shares his faith with, with Felix and his wife, Drusilla, but also he doesn't neglect to speak very forcefully about the importance of righteousness and self-control and judgment and to help him to see that he needs to be ready to meet his God. And to use Italian gesture, Felix was fearful. That encounter with Paul made his conscience speak to him in a way that he had never heard it before. And he was moved by that. I know in my own life, God used certain realities as I understood the gospel at age 12 and realized that there was a real place of punishment for, him, for our sins and that sensitized me towards the gospel message. But uh, Paul um, is very loving and concerned for Felix. Even though it's in the context of being falsely accused, he is able to t- win Christian grace to rise up above the occasion and the false accusations and focus in on the gospel. Do I have that grace? Do you have that grace? Even in moments of of stress and, and false accusations, to be able to take those episodes in our life and transform them into opportunities for witness. How powerful. Then he has to appear before the, the King Agrippa and Bernice in Acts chapter 25 and chapter 26. And again, I will be brief and just summarize that Paul in this context shares his personal testimony. I think it's a really important thing to know how to relate your personal testimony. When we have baptisms over in Italy, I like to um, ask people to write out their testimony before their baptism. Then I like to go over it with them. It, It has several benefits. One is that as they write out their testimony, I can see if there's something yet that is not quite accurate from their understanding of the gospel presentation. And and if there is something to be able to help them to get that clarity. But the other thing is that as they learn to express and articulate their faith to others, that makes them more effective. Not only for their day of baptism, which is an extreme blessing to those that are there, but it's also an incredible opportunity because many Italians are curious. And when they hear somebody's going to get baptized as, 
uh, not as an infant as they're used to, and they, an adult or, or a, a child or a teenager or whatever it is, who, whoever it is that, that uh, expresses that. It's very moving and very touching. And one young man, uh, way back in the first, became a believer. His uncle was being baptized, and I was preaching, and I, I had to go out and lead the guy to the Lord. It was kind of in the context of my message. I've never had that happen before or after. Yet he is one of the elders in our church today. And so powerful when we can articulate our faith. Well, Paul articulated his faith to Agrippa. Um, Paul stands before him without fear. He explains the radical changes that took place in his life. We can take note from these things and learn how we can express our God, uh, the, our testimony to others. He shares how that bright light appeared to, to him and the voice from God. He received his call and how he was obedient to that call. And he talks about how Christ should suffer and die and rise again and, and to proclaim that light of the gospel. And he says, and then he, he goes a step beyond, and this is where a lot of us lack courage. Agrippa, have you believed personally? To help people to get to that point in their life that they have that question put before them. Are you ready to meet your, meet your maker? Many opportunities. Donatella is a, a, a lady who is like Agrippa. Every time we have a conversation with her, uh, she's almost persuaded as Agrippa was. But through her, a number of people have come to know the Lord. Because when we had some event, she would invite others and they would receive the message. Donatella yet is to, to arrive at that point. We hope and pray that she will eventually get there before it's too late. Seventhly, the um, time that Paul is in the ship, and the shipwreck in Acts 27, another amazing opportunity. Uh, have you noticed how many of these opportunities came in the context of suffering? the vast majority. Opportunities that are accompanied by suffering. Did you get that point? I hope you did. Because I would be very blessed if some of you can have the victory to take moments of suffering in your life and turn that around for an opportunity and see what the Lord can do. I challenge you. And when it happens, drop me an email, let me know. I would be blessed. But you know what? God would be honored. And God would be glorified. God would be so delighted because you were able to do what he hoped that you would do in that circumstance. So with the shipwreck, Paul is a prisoner. And again, he could really be miffed about all the things that happened, but he knew that he was supposed to arrive at Rome, and he knew there was a mission for him to accomplish once he got there. He knew he had that distinct conviction that these things were not happening by mistake, but they were God-ordained circumstances, so the gospel would get to Rome. How was it going to get there? Through suffering, false accusations, through persecution. Paul had told these guys, hey, I don't think this is a good time to travel. And yet, I think because of money, you know, the guys that wanted this, their goods to get over to the other place so they could get their profits, we've got a little wind, we think that boat can get there. 
Who was right? Was it the experienced helmsman? Or was it the, the guy who had his investments there? Or the centurion? Well, they launched that boat. And they did like a lot of people. They get their lives really messed up when you're letting other circumstances guide your life and not letting the Lord direct your steps. And with, with this came shipwreck, but through it, all what happens. Paul gives good advice at the beginning, and it's not listened to. Sound familiar? Then Paul has the encouraging message that he received from God that all would be saved. And finally, when all hope was gone, I, I, I love that in, in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and, so, and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we should be saved was finally gone. But people were hungry. They were malnourished. They had lost their appetite because they saw death written in this circumstance that they were going through. But Paul was able in that time, rather than being embittered, angry, or fearful, he states to them that he believes in God. That firm conviction that I believe in God. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I believe in God. And that's what gets him through this thing. And Paul's words then are heeded. And when he tells them, don't let the sailors escape, everybody, the condition for everybody to be saved is everybody's got to stay on the boat. And he tells them that they need to eat food and they listen to him. He thanks the Lord. Reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000 and there's Jesus' prayer and that thanks, thankful spirit. And Paul is there to, to thank the Lord for the food and give that testimony that, God, you provided this food, even in this circumstance in life. And God made it so Paul earned. He was seen with grace by the centurion who respected him and did all that he could to save his life. And as a result, all aboard the ship were saved. I don't know if anybody came to personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, but what I can tell you, Paul took that opportunity to leave a bold witness for the Lord. And there's no denying that. God was honored through that. Even if somebody does not become a Christian. And that should be another goal that we have in our life. That we're going to honor God. Cost what it may. I'm thinking of a lot of people in life though. That are not going to persuade it. Until they hit their head against a wall. Slato's brother has the same name as Slato's son, and it's Derek. So when I talk about Derek, don't confuse the two. This one I'm talking about now is one of these kind. Uh, I kind of look up at him, and Derek I've witnessed to since he was a teenager. And many times presented the gospel there in the gypsy camp. And yet, Derek always seemed interested. He would always listen to the Bible studies. He seemed like he was always interested and yet he would not make, I don't know what it was that was holding him back. And every time I would see him, I'd say, Derek, have you made your decision yet for the Lord? And he would say, no, not yet. 
One day the phone rings, and it's Derek. He has leukemia. God used leukemia to finally help that tough shell to be broken. And he came to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Derek, I wish he would go ahead and do it, but he's waiting for me to get back for to be baptized. He wants me to be <laughs> present, and I will be it will be a great joy. He, he and his wife are expecting their sixth child now, and they're wanting to have a um, dedication service for their ch ch children. But, you know, it, we kept that necessity before Derek, and finally, God permitted circumstances. And that's another way that we as Christians need to be aware. Because a lot of times it takes certain circumstances to make people give in. And may the Lord help us to take those opportunities. Like I said, God has infinitely done above all that we could have asked or thought. When you think of doors of opportunities, Christian grace and kindness goes a long way. I'd like to quote one more person, Thomas Edison. He said, most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. I, I like that, especially for those of us from Kansas, because a rural uh, area and we can appreciate it. But, you know, opportunities often require work. Putting into it elbow grease, investing time, resources, but the joy is that it will pay off for all of eternity. And I hope that in some small way you have been challenged, but at the same time I wanted to bless you in what you have invested in Italy that has made these things possible. And God is, is working there. You saw the... the, the audiovisual and we pray that that you'll be encouraged and that god will bless you for your commitment to missions and that you will also continue to take advantage of doors of opportunity here do you have any questions i let me tell you one thing about slato okay because we are so grateful for your support for him slato's mother just passed away about 10 days ago i i don't know if that news got through to you i'm afraid it didn't um she had gotten breast cancer 10 years ago, and when she got breast cancer, she thought maybe that was going to be the end of her life. So she had Slato do a video of, she wanted to, something to be a witness at her funeral. She used to be a hand reader, a palm reader, and God marvelously changed her life. Also Slato's father, who was, uh, he made images for the Madonna and other things. Um, and both of them, you know, their conversion to Christ was conditioned. They didn't know what they would do to put bread and butter on the table if they didn't continue doing their things. But this mother had that video made. Well, she died from a mini stroke and, and Slato did the, the, the message at her funeral. Well, just, you know, because gypsy lifestyle, not all of his family is a Christian. Luciano is in prison, and, but Luciano was escorted to the funeral so he could be there. Well, the funeral was, there were mostly gypsies there, but there were a few Italians. The guards from the prison were there. And they played also the video from his mother uh, as a witness to that. And Slato, God gave him the grace to, to preach the funeral for his mother. And it was so beautiful. The, the guards told Slato afterwards, he said, that was the most beautiful funeral we have ever uh, attended. And it was a witness even, even to people in the prison. Um, I, I just see the beauty of how God can orchestrate these things. 
the G- gypsy ministry is a distinct um, blessing and, and it speaks very powerful over in Italy because Italians consider gypsies scum and they, uh, if they touch them while they're playing uh, soccer or something at school events, get away from me, you dirty gypsy, is the typical reaction. And you can imagine what that rebuff, how it affects them. And so when, when the gospel came to their hearts and, and they sensed the love and exception, um, if they went into a church service, people would not automatically get their purses and, you know, they were very suspicious of, of any activity. And what is so beautiful with the gypsy work now, our church people love them. And when we have a business meeting and all the Italians are there, we need somebody to take care of the children. Um, would you believe that Slato, his wife, his nephew, and uh, his, her, his wife take care of the children? Now, gypsies are known at times to abduct children, and you would not trust your children to them. So I say that just as the, the, the way that God transforms and makes it such a beautiful situation. So I, I wanted to share something because I know you're supporting Slato. I'm, I'm very grateful for that, and he is very grateful um, Keep praying for him. Uh, it's an uphill battle. He goes to a number of gypsy camps uh, to be a witness. And so um, we'll keep trying to keep information coming to you for your prayer support and so forth. Any other questions? Our children. Uh, you can see an updated picture of them at the display table. They gave that uh, frame viewer to us for our 50th anniversary. And so we put their, their pictures on it so you can get up there. Uh, Frank, just to be, he's uh, a broker in, in Kansas City, uh, area of insurance, financial consulting, and so forth. Um, Joy and her husband, they're uh, in Italy. He's an air controller. Uh, Joy and he do the youth ministry, and God has really blessed that. We, uh, they had up to 30 to 40 young people. With COVID, it took a beating, and so they're trying to, we have over 50 kids in camp this summer, which for a missionary, a missionary ministry is, is really phenomenal. Um, Elizabeth is married to Steve, who is a pastor, and he just finished a, a pastorate down below Miami at, uh, at Homestead. Now they're at Tampa, and they're going to be uh, helping in a, a, a bigger church to start a new ministry in a new housing development. So they're, uh, they're at Tampa just uh, a month or so now uh, that they've transferred. Uh, Felicia and her husband Luigi. Luigi is the one that fell uh, and uh, was, you know, had the surgery on his head and so forth. He is another elder in our church, preaching elder. Uh, Felicia is uh, responsible for the worship uh, team and the music and also the curriculum and organizing the Sunday school teachers. It's a m- marvelous to have our children involved in the ministry there. They have the same passion and the same involvement and we're really grateful for them. Um, they have three children. We have 16 grandchildren, by the way. 13 biological and three adopted. And then our last is Stephen. He's the, the smallest in age, but the biggest in, in uh, he's a weightlifter. Um, we've got stories to tell about that too. Yeah. Uh, 680 pounds. Uh, I, I, uh, he pulled some ligaments apart. He's in Italy right now. They, the, the two ad- girls they adopted, he works at the Ford plant in, in Kansas City, uh, and they're closed this month for changing their assembly line around. So, so we praise the Lord for them. Uh, Stephen is married to an Italian, and, uh, and uh, so is uh, Joy and uh, Felicia. Is that enough? Okay. Anything else? If you want to know more. Yep. Do you, do the Italian gypsies see themselves as the same people group as white gypsies in England? Or are they distinct? Okay, they're, 
they ha they're kind of united, uh, what kind of was uh, unique. Uh, Sato uh, says that his, the gypsies migrated from India, they're very dark complected, uh, five or so hundred years ago, and that they by now are all over Europe, but they also are in here. Uh, they're distinctive in their dress. Over in Italy, the, the women wear the full gown, uh, full uh, skirts and uh, band uh, around their hair if they're married. If they don't have that, they're, they're single. Um, any rate, they... Um, when, uh, when there was a lockdown with COVID, he started doing Facebook uh, uh, videos and the people, uh, he was able to get gypsies even outside of the country. So that, yes, there is um, a commonality there. The only difference is um, they do not have a Bible in their own language because uh, the United Bible Society has the difficulty of uh, each gypsy group kind of has their, that, their main language, but they kind of, it's colored by the local language. Like, Slato and his family, um, or the, their, the, the, his, the Roma, uh, they mix the Italian together with their language. Uh, if they're in Germany, they mix German with it. If they're France, and so that, that's been hard to have a common denominator when it comes to a Bible translation that would be applicable to all. So there's no, no Bible in their language yet, which is a, a very sad thing. So when he preaches, he preaches in their language, but when he refers to the Bible, it has to be in Italian. Pardon? Do most of them know okay, the older generation, uh, well, they, they would have a speaking uh, knowledge of, uh, the, the older generation is illiterate because with their nomadic uh, lifestyle, they, they did not go to school. The Italian government did, came out with, a, I don't know how many years ago, it's been some time now, that the, the Italian government requires them to put their kids in school. So actually what that happened, when that happened, it helped them to be more stabilized in a given rather, rather than the no, nomadic. They st still do the, some of that in the summertime when the school's out. But uh, that, that actually facilitates getting the gospel to them because if they were nomadic, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did to, to help get the, uh, the initial work going there. And now Sato has it completely in his, his hands. So the older generation, it's really sad. There's some extremist Pentecostal groups in Italy. They're, they're, they're uh, run by older generation and they, they are illiterate. So they don't preach the Bible. They holler, they roll down on the floor or they do, you know, su supposedly miracles, but they're, they're all, you know, they're fake. And gypsies are really good at discerning fakes because <laughs> they often deceive other people with, with fake things. So, um, yeah, they're, it's, it's a challenge to get out the gospel to them. Uh, Slato's parents, his dad was a judge for them. And because his being a judge, there was a little bit of clout in his family. And, um, but his dad also valued uh, literacy. And so he had his kids in school. Now that his dad has Alzheimer's, the mantle has kind of been passed to, to Slato. So when there's uh, problems, uh, the gypsies don't go to the Italian government. They go to who these various people are that they respect for that. And, and so Slato kind of has that. Also, he'll have people coming there to, that need to resolve their problems. And sometimes they come with their pistols. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's not, not play cowboys. It's the real real thing and sometimes there's real danger too and he but he's 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 has God with him and he's bold in in, in helping them to understand what they need to do to make things right so a, a kind of neat opportunity 
I don't want to go too long. You, you tell me when you're... Anybody else? Question? Yes. Have I written what? No, I, they keep me too busy with other things. <laughs> uh, my daughter Felicia, though, she does want dad involved in a lot of musical things, and so I, I, I do a lot of accompanying and, and special ev evangelistic events or concerts, so, but I, not writing. Felicia. Felicia, yeah, that's what's really, you know, she grew up in Italy. She does a much better job at it than I do. And we've had a neat working relationship with Word of Life. Uh, the Word of Life, when we had lockdown and COVID, we could do out things outside, but we couldn't inside. Word of Life loves working with our church because we have a larger youth group. And so they, they did a video with us. They had their, their filming group and also they used drones and stuff. And so they did a, the, on Bartimaeus and our little grandson had the main role and it, it, it's so beautiful. But uh, she did all the translation. The, the German uh, Word of Life produced uh, the, the, the music background, but she did all the uh, work, the elaboration of the Italian so that they, we could have it in Italian. And it's really exciting to be able to do these kind of things that, because she went to conservatory and is very, very gifted and beautiful voice, but also she has a real love for the children. And, and was, in fact, in our video presentation, the children that you heard, that was recordings from our, our, our church groups there. Okay? If you have any other questions, we'll be back at the back there. Thank you again. It's wonderful to be back with you all. God bless you. And uh, we'll, by the way, people sometimes ask us uh, if we're getting ready to retire. And uh, we feel like as long as we have mental faculties and the health to do so, we feel like now that we had this group of uh, young people that have finished the course, um, we need to remind you that we, in one hour radius of where we live, there's over 1,000 towns, cities, and villages without a gospel preaching church. And furthermore, um, we have people driving almost an hour from all four directions to come to our service. So there's a unique opportunity to try to have other church plants going. And so uh, our desire is to, to coach and to encourage and to be useful in this, facilitating and um, also furlough offerings we're putting towards uh, uh, having funds available to various projects when we get back on, in, in furthering the church planning there in the province of Venice. Okay? So, yeah, we're, uh, we're enjoying it over there, uh, serving the Lord, and thank you for making it possible. Amen. Thank you, Frank and Kathy. Thank you for your excitement and zeal for the Lord and for the gospel. It's always a shot in the arm for me to see your uh, vigor for, for the work of the gospel. Um, can you guys, or at least Frank, if you can head to back to the table before I pray and dismiss that you're back there so people can talk to you on their way out. Let me pray for Frank and Kathy and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the glorious work of uh, your power around the world to save many from every tribe, tongue, language, and people group and to build your church. Thank you for the open doors that you have put before Frank and Kathy and thank you for using them and... Um, expanding uh, your uh, church through them. We pray that you would do the same through us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see uh, from the challenge tonight, open doors that you have presented to us, even through suffering, to be better witnesses, more vocal, more courageous, uh, more consistent. Father, would you grow us in those things? 
thank you for um, the work in, in Italy. We pray that you would send forth more laborers for the harvest field there that is ripe and ready for harvest. We ask, Lord, that you would continue your work in Jesus' name. Amen. God's grace to you. You're dismissed.